had a good week of conversations this week. Enjoyed uh, talking with some 19 and 20 year old college students and they were asking, uh, what is God's will? We want to know God's will for our lives. How do you know God's will? That's always a good conversation. Uh, also enjoyed um, talking with a 30-year-old, maybe 30-something-year-old father. And in the course of that conversation, uh, he said, I just feel like um, I lack purpose. What's purpose in my, what is the purpose for life? And so those conversations were interesting. And then towards the end of the week, I talked to a man who lives in Detroit, and he works with navigators. And he was telling me about a district, a part of Detroit, called Banglatown. Now, <clears throat> it's called Banglatown because 30% of the population of that part of Detroit comes from Bangladesh. They're Bengali. And so now it's called Banglatown. Tens of thousands of immigrants and their kids and their grandkids from Bangladesh live in Detroit. In fact, it's one of the largest communities of Bengali outside of Bangladesh in India. Now, the Bengali are one of the largest unreached people groups in our world. And there are masses of them living three and a half hours from us. And I got to thinking about my conversations this week and realized, you know, God's purpose actually is pretty clear. His big will for our lives is pretty clear. Sometimes it's knocking right on our door. But do we have eyes to see it? That's the question. Well, we want to remind ourselves this morning of God's grand purpose, what he's up to and our part in it. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is Luke writing. And so Luke writes, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in my former book, talking about the gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now the implication of these verses is that if the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do and to teach, then the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because now uh, he is resurrected and he has ascended uh, to be with the Father in heaven. Now what he is doing, what Jesus is doing, he does through his followers, through the church. So here's a question for you. Did Jesus complete his mission? Has Jesus concluded his mission? Well, okay. It's a complicated question, right? It's not so easy. <laughs> Uh, yes and no, because Jesus' mission has more than one part. We've got to talk about the different parts 
of Christ's mission in the world. And the first part of Christ's mission was to purchase salvation for you and me. So through his physical body on the cross, Jesus purchased salvation for us. When he died on the cross, taking upon himself our shame, our guilt, the punishment for, the, for our sin, the punishment we deserve because of our sin, when he did that, he made it possible for us through faith in him to be forgiven and to be made right with God and to have the hope of eternal life. That part of Christ's mission is accomplished. It is finished. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. That is done. But that's the first part of Christ's mission. There's a second part to Christ's mission. And that second part is to take that wonderful, awesome, incredible good news of the gospel that God loves every person. We're all sinners, and we don't deserve his love, but he loves us enough to send his son to die for us so that we can have forgiveness and be restored to relationship with him. This is the part of the plan to take that good news, that gospel news, and to communicate it, to preach it, to teach it, to share it, to spread it, to take it to every single people group around the whole world. That's the second part of the mission, and it is not complete. It is ongoing. It's happening now. Right now, Jesus, through his spiritual body, the church, through you and me, is continuing his mission to spread the gospel to the whole world. So how are we doing? How are we doing that? How's it coming? So here is a chart that talks about the progress of the gospel among people groups. Now, a people group is an eth ethno-linguistic group, uh, a, an affinity group, where the gospel is able to spread without uh, encountering any language or cultural barriers or obstacles. That's a people group. And according to the Joshua Project, there are currently 17,043 people groups, definable, distinguishable people groups. And what we're interested in is the red portion, all right? And the red portion is talking about how many unreached peoples there are. And an unreached people group, they define as a people group where there's less than 2% believers in that people group. In other words, not enough uh, believers or resources to, uh, especially um, indigenous people, indigenous church to be able to spread the gospel on their own. They need help to do it. That's an unreached people group. And according to Joshua Project, uh, right now there are 7,078 unreached people groups. That means that 41% of the people groups in our world are still unreached with the gospel message. And if you're wondering what that means in terms of a world population, it's about this, it's 41% of the world population, which is a bit over 3 billion. So uh, 3 billion, a little more than 3 billion people live in unreached people groups. And so that's, that's uh, where we're at. And that is what's happening. Uh, we watch the news and we see what's going on in the world. And, but, but really what's going on is Jesus through his spiritual body, the church, you and me, taking the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's what's happening. Why did the sun rise this morning? 
why will tomorrow happen? Well, tomorrow is not going to happen just so that we can graduate from college and get a degree, and then we can go out and get a good job, and then we can uh, have a nice family, and then we can buy a nicer car, and we can have a bigger house, build a bigger house, and um, fill our lives with television and enjoy life in retirement on the nest egg that we've laid. Those things aren't necessarily bad. Maybe one of them is. But uh, those things aren't necessarily bad, but that's not why tomorrow happens. The, the sun came up this morning, and tomorrow happens, and the rest of this week happens, and this month happens, and 2019 happens so that progress can be made towards completing Christ's mission in the world so that the gospel can penetrate more unreached people groups and more people can hear the wonderful news that God loved them and that he's made a way for forgiveness of sin and restoration to him. That is why tomorrow happens. And all of us, every single one of us, if we are a Christ follower, we are called. We are called in one way or another to participate in what Jesus is doing to complete and fulfill his mission in the world. We all have a purpose, and we all have, in the, in the biggest sense, the same purpose, to continue and complete the mission of Jesus in the world today. Now, we know that this mission is going to be accomplished, that it will be completed. And we know it because we get a glimpse of a worship service in heaven, in the book of Revelation. And this is how the congregation is defined in this worship service. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So this mission will be accomplished. But the question is, what are we doing about it today? What are we doing about it today? Now, there have always been obstacles to this purpose. Uh, language obstacles, culture obstacles, uh, the expense of it, the risk of it, the resistance uh, to it. Those are all obstacles that you find all over the place. What's a little unusual right now is that there's a, a kind of a new obstacle developing that comes from within us, from within uh, e evangelical believers in the church. And this new obstacle is an ambivalence, a growing ambivalence towards sharing this story. We're saying how good it is to share the old, old story. But there's an ambivalence developing towards sharing that old, old story. There was a, a study done by the Barna group, and they recently reported this. Almost half of millennials agree that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith. So we live in a culture that values inclusivism and non-judgmentalism, and in some ways there's, that's good. But the problem is that it creates a culture that resists conversations that highlights differences between people. This is how the president of, of the Barna Group kind of sums things up. I like it. Cultivating deep, steady, resilient Christian conviction is difficult, in a world of you do you and don't criticize anyone's life choices and emotivism 
Now, if you don't know what emotivism is, he's going to define it for you right now. Here it is. Emotional reasoning. The feelings first priority that our culture makes a way of life. It's just about feelings, not truth. Truth is secondary and suspicious even. It's just feelings. And so we, we, we magnify and let feelings drive everything. As much as ever, evangelism isn't just about saving the unsaved, but reminding ourselves that this stuff matters. Okay, what's the stuff? <laughs> the stuff is the gospel message. That there, that there is forgiveness and there is uh, reconciliation with God and there is the hope of life after death through faith in Jesus Christ. This stuff matters. You better believe it does. This stuff matters. That the Bible is trustworthy and that Jesus changes everything. That's why when I, I read that quote, I think about how important all three aspects of our mission is. Um, because we, we want to reach our world, but we need to invite them into our strengths. And our strengths, I hope and believe, is that we worship Jesus wholeheartedly, authentically, and that that worship is most clearly demonstrated in our genuine love for each other. Paul said uh, in Galatians, this is the only thing that matters. This is all that counts. Faith demonstrated in love. Genuine faith demonstrated in genuine love. That's what matters. And those are our strengths, a community of people who love and forgive and serve and live together in harmony and unity. That's our strength. Let's invite people into that to know it and experience. But it's rooted in the gospel message. But we, as we take the gospel, also have to, to, to share that good news, that old story. We have to share it along the lines of compassion and uh, do it very tangibly, and that's why we, we want to get involved with things like clean water and economic development, so uh, businesses, mission, or um, medical help, or addiction counseling, all these kinds of ways that we tangibly uh, touch the hurts and the needs of the world, but always remembering that what's fundamentally necessary is this gospel message. This stuff matters. Uh, the grace of God that gives us salvation. And, but I believe that we as a church family, we are committed to those things. We know that we're called to make disciples. We know that all of us are called and, and that all of us can choose to be involved in the way that God has gifted us. Lots of ways to do that. So you got purpose? Yeah, this side does. going to work on this side. You got purpose? Yes. yes, we have purpose. We've got lots of purpose. We know what God's big will is, how we exactly fit into that. Uh, there's lots of good conversations on that, but we know what his purpose is, is that through us, he continues and completes uh, the mission in the world. That's the purpose we have. Let me point out a couple other things in this text. Second of all, our message has content. Our message has content. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> After his suffering, he, that's Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The substance of our message is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He is alive. 
He's alive. So what we're, what we're not offering is self-help tips. We're not offering seven ways to improve your life. We're not offering um, entertainment or distraction or numbness from the pain. We are not uh, offering an easier life. What we are offering is life from the dead. And it's not rooted or based in um, subjective, wishful thinking. It's rooted and based in objective, historical fact. Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. There is life after death because Jesus conquered death. That's the content of our message, and it's filled with hope, isn't it? Now, Easter is coming up pretty soon, and we're going to give uh, some of those proofs, some of those evidences. We're going to talk more about that, but that's the substance of our message, Jesus and the resurrection. Also, look at this. Our purpose is powered by the Holy Spirit. Our purpose is powered by the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Spirit is the Spirit of witness. It's the Spirit of mission. And it's the Spirit who has called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God, a kingdom of light. And now as a church, as followers of Christ, the Spirit comes alongside us and calls others to join the community of Christ's followers with joy and hope and a future. The Spirit empowers us. And so often we think, well, I don't have anything to offer, and I might get it wrong, and I don't know enough, and I don't know how to do it. But do you, do you remember what was done? Little is much when God is in it. There was a book that really helped me when I was in college um, called Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. And the author uh, went to that story in the Bible of the feeding of the 5,000 and how they were, you know, does anybody have any food? Well, this little boy has two fish and five loaves of bread. Is that adequate for 5,000 people? Not at all. It's lame and pathetic. Until Jesus takes it and uses it. Little is much when God is in it. And so the encouragement to, to take what we have and to put it, it may feel weak and lame and inadequate to us but when we offer it to god when we submit it to him he can take it and use it powerfully he's given us the spirit who indwells us and the spirit is saying give me something to work with here it doesn't have to be perfect okay but give me something to work with say something break that sound barrier i can i can take something that you think maybe is weak or not perfect or not completely right. And I can take and use that to impact and change someone's heart. Just give me something to work with. He's powerful, the Holy Spirit is. But he's going to work with us in accomplishing Christ's mission in the world. Our purpose is powered by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, our purpose extends to multiple groups. 
The book of Acts as a whole explains the expansion of the church all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And we read uh, in verse 8 again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see that unfolding, the first seven chapters, it's all about Jerusalem. And then it breaks out, this movement, uh, this Jesus movement, breaks out of Jerusalem into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. But it goes far, far beyond that. The last half of the book describes how the gospel is taken to the rest of the Roman Empire, the known world of the time. And when we talk about reaching our world, we also think about our Jerusalem and our Judea and Samaria and uh, to the ends of the earth. And when we think about our Jerusalem, we are thinking about people who are um, near to us, kind of physically near to us. They live in Winona Lake or Warsaw, and they are culturally very much like us. These are our family and friends and neighbors often, and our colleagues at work, and our teachers, and, and all this kind of a thing. And uh, we're called to them. And when we talk about uh, who's your one, who's your one, uh, we're not talking exclusively, but kind of mostly about this group here, here in our Jerusalem, who are the people who are near and close to you and also close to you in culture. Um, now, we live in this beautiful town, and uh, you wonder, how, how, what percentage of evangelical believers are there in our town, in our area? Well, you would think that it is a very high number, right? Because I'm bumping into you guys everywhere all the time, and people like you, all right? In fact, yesterday I went to Fort Wayne. I go to Best Buy, and I run into Nick Deck. And I went to, we went to the mall, and I ran into two more of you at Macy's. Like, I can't get away from this. <laughs> Why would I want to? So, um, so uh, uh, it seems like there's a lot, but you know, there was a study done and just uh, released here, the state of the county here. And now some of these stats come from the 2010 census, so they'll be updated pretty soon. But according to that census, only 20% of our county um, identifies themselves as evangelical believers. There are a few other groups, and believe it or not, over 60% don't identify with any religious group. 60%. You know what that is? That's 53,000 people right here in our area. That's our Jerusalem. And so uh, our global mission, our worldwide mission, begins with our neighbors. It begins right here. But not, not only do we look at our Jerusalem, we look at our Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria are those areas that are still close to us, maybe Kosciuszko County, for example, or the United States, if you really broaden it out. But these are, these are people who may be like us, but may also be from a different culture. And uh, we want to be intentional, intentional about engaging people who are, who are around us who may not be of our culture. And we have opportunities to do that. And I'm going to ask Cindy McDonald to come and uh, just share a little bit. She and her husband, Brett, have been real intentional about um, just building relationships with uh, a cultural group in our area. And it's really neat to see how God works when we choose to do that. Several years ago, um, God just put a burden on my heart for a particular people group. And um, so I just went up to my room that night and I prayed and I said, God, this is way bigger than me. I need your help. And I pray that you would bring the people to me that you want me to be able to share the gospel with. 
And when you pray a prayer like that, you can expect that God will bring not just one, not just two, but literally hundreds of people um, he brought to me. And um, during that time, um, we started having people over to our home um, for meals, and we realized that a lot of these people had not been in American homes yet, so that encouraged us to invite more and more people to our home. And through this, we were able to um, really build relationships. And one day, um, one of the ladies from this people group um, met me at the store, and she started talking to me about some of the burdens she was going through. And I noticed in, as she was speaking that she really didn't have a concept of forgiveness in her religion. So I asked her if it'd be okay if we met so I could share the Bible with her. And she was really excited about that. So we got together literally on a weekly basis and spent several hours where I got the joy of sharing Jesus with her and explaining the love of Jesus to her and explaining forgiveness to her. And she wanted her husband to know about it, so then we had them over to our home, and he asked all sorts of questions, and we were able to just openly share the love of Jesus with them. And this went on for at least nine months, and through that time, she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And there that began with uh, first prayer, but also just a choice to be hospitable. Be hospitable. O open up a home. And, and, and there's a lot of fun and joy in getting to know uh, people from different cultures. It's wonderful. And so there's that opportunity, and, and we have several initiatives like that going on. I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you everything that God's doing, uh, and he is. Uh, but, but that's a part of what we can be involved in is in our Judea and Samaria. And so... Uh, uh, we recognize that all of us are called to be a part of God's mission, that he is completing through us, his church in the world, of taking the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. That includes our Jerusalem, that includes our Samaria, and that includes the ends of the earth. And so w one way that we do that as a group of people to reaching the ends of the earth is that we partner with our global teammates. So we have a whole staff of global teammates in uh, we think everyone uh, should get to know and support one of our global teammates. Out in the courtyard, there's a table with, with a little bit of information on all of our global teammate staff. And we encourage you, if you don't have a, a partnership with our, our global teammates, to start uh, picking up some of those and start getting to know uh, some of our global teammates and what they do, what their ministry is, the people that they minister to, begin praying for them, and then financially supporting them as well. That's what partnering is all about and that's one way that we as a group can connect with the uttermost the ends of the earth now today we have a special privilege we have some of our global teammates staff uh, David and Becky Schwan who are going to come up here right now and they have served in Birmingham England for 28 years and they are transitioning now into a new phase of life and ministry but we are their sending church, and uh, they have represented us, but mostly they've represented Jesus Christ well in Birmingham, England. And we have the privilege of um, giving to them, on behalf of Encompass World Partners, this gift. And it says this, David and Becky Schwann, thank you for your faithful ministry in England, Encompass World Partners, 1990 to 2019. 
So thank you, and let's thank them. <laughs> I'll just put it on my little desk here, I guess. I think you guys should get the clock. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David and Becky have served all these years, and now they're going to actually share a song with us, and the song comes with some visuals that are, are kind of a, uh, to help us think through all those years of ministry in Birmingham that this church has supported them in seeing uh, two church plants get started in Birmingham, England. With your history as well. Maker of the universe, as man for man was made a curse, claims of law which he had made, to the uttermost he paid, his holy fingers made the bow, which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. And the nails which pierced his hands were mine. In secret places he designed. And so I will go and tell them. And so. whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung he died upon a cross of wood it made the hill on which it stood the sky that darkened o'er his hands by him above the earth was spread and the sun which hid from him its face by his decree was poised in space and so I will go and tell them and so I will go Tell 
precious blood was tempered in the fires of God the grave in which his form was laid as union rocks his hands had made in the throne on which he now appeared was his from everlasting years but a new glory crowns his brow and every knee to him shall bow and so I will go and tell them so I will go Thank you. Well, thanks. And uh, you just saw all those uh, relationships, those lives, all that creativity, and just uh, many, many ways to build bridges and a bond into people's lives. Tell us, though, we've been talking about purpose, our purpose. Um, uh, what, what was your purpose? You look back, was there a clear sense of purpose? What was it? Yeah, well, our Originally, we were just challenged to um, plant churches in England, and um, we found out very quickly, uh, you know, God's purpose for us was to do that, but we found very quickly that um, there were lots of other people whose purpose was kind of the similar thing, and so uh, we joined up on a team, and that you're the team, actually, <laughs> and uh, we helped you guys. We just kind of focused our purpose and focused your purpose um, on those those two places in England and uh, yeah yeah I think the scripture is clear that um, God's plan is to bring everything under Jesus headship and then to reconcile all people to himself and as Kip has so eloquently uh, we love hearing your messages again it's so nice to be back but as he <laughs> eloquently put it you can do that here in Winona and you can do that overseas and we thought we had been called to date in Ohio which is where we were both teaching and got married there and had a few children and had a lot of, of local ministry, but God um, really, as a couple, led us to to go. For me, it was go back to Europe. I was raised in France. I am a Julian. <laughs> I was raised at the Chateau, and my family's sitting here. But um, and you know, the sacrifice might have been for me to stay here, but God led us back. And for David, it was really um, in 1984 when we were there doing music, and people asked him if he wrote. We we sang this 
the 23rd Psalm in French, and people said, that was just beautiful. Did you write those lyrics? <laughs> of course, I said yes. <laughs> You're and good, but not that good. Struck and he was <laughs> recovering. Um, <laughs> it, it was really his aha moment that there was so little witness in Europe as a whole, and then set of circumstances led us from what we thought France maybe to England. And, yep. <laughs> so with that clear purpose, uh, there's a cost. What are some of the costs of, of, of planting churches in England? Um, well, you don't, well, when, you know, we weren't familiar with the medical system over there, and our son had just had two major heart operations. He was nine months old. And but by the way, you guys got behind us and really prayed for us and helped us out, and uh, we couldn't have done that without you folks. We thought we'd have to stay home at that point. And um, so, you know, we really appreciate it. But it's the school system. You don't know whether your kids are going to come out of the British school system with their faith. Mm. And they did. <laughs> but you don't know that going in. So, but, and uh, I was very close with my family being from a small town. So, you know, leaving them was very, very difficult. And yeah, I think the family thing was the biggest thing from this side. Is, and it doesn't get easier. You think, oh, we'll say goodbye the first time, then we'll come back on home ministries and we'll say goodbye. It'll be so much easier. And it just got harder and harder. But, um, yeah, I think for us, um, when people say, well, living in England surely was wonderful, and it, it really was. We just love that country and we miss it. But I think the soil being so hard, I think just a sense of real despair when you meet people that are just do not care about the, the gospel at all. That, that just wears on you after a while. And then if it rains a lot, <laughs> which it did, <laughs> you don't even have the sunshine to brighten you up. So I think, <laughs> but more seriously, it was it was the deeper stuff, you know, um, for us just missing Christian fellowship other than our team. It was just so, um, yeah, so hard in those ways. But that's that doesn't actually, when I think of, of our 28 years, that's not what comes to mind. It's not yeah. the cost. It's the joy. <laughs> so that's the last question then. What's, okay. what are the, what's the joys of it? What's the other side of it? What makes it worth it? What makes the cost worth it? Well, it, it, really, is, it really is the faces. And it's really hard for me to watch this, even at this yeah. point. Um, you know, because there's people just... Yeah, yeah. And David says it so <laughs> much better than I do because his, his emotions um, reflect that we just fell in love with people and so we had the joy of leading some of them to the Lord and some of their children to the Lord and all these spiritual children and grandchildren. Um, I think for us where we, we, we just loved it as a family is we got a, a wider worldview. And our kids, even though, yeah, there were some hard things and they got you know help down the road for some of the things. But I think to, to see the world, not just their own little locality, I think as they live and as they minister, and, and for us, it definitely changed us. We will live differently in northern Ohio, having yeah. gone there and come back. <laughs> well, we thank you very much for representing us, but your Lord and Savior so well for 28 years. Let's say thank you again to thank them. You. Thank you. And thank you to you. <laughs>